Amen. Y'all can grab a seat. How are we doing this morning? All right. Did we sleep at all last night? A little bit? A little bit? Did y'all uh, dance here? Lives away last night. That was pretty epic. Uh, DJ Puberty. I mean, the moves he's got are disturbing. Um, but that's all right. That's all right. Well, it's great to be with you. And I pray that after last night that you are starting to feel this overwhelming sense that you are a loved child of God. And, and I'm praying that it's going to start to create this kind of euphoric joy. You know, I remember coming to Christ when I was young, when I was a kid, and, and a couple years later getting baptized. And I just remember having this, like, confidence. It's only, like, little kids can. You realize, like, little kids, like, they'll be in the mall. I remember watching one of my kids and, and like, walk by one of those stores that has really loud music. And then all of a sudden, just out of nowhere, they're just, like, busting a move. And they just don't give a rip what anybody is even seeing. And I, I remember having that kind of confidence and joy. And it actually showed up on my baptism day. I got baptized with my brother and sister, um, and my dad got to baptize us, which was really cool. And I got to go first, you know, the youngest goes first. And then I was supposed to go on the other side of my dad and just like watch and be like, oh, this is really great, right? Okay, but I was young. And so I got baptized and I was super excited about the whole thing and, and just going under the water and coming out. And if you haven't got baptized, please just think about it. It's this incredible experience to obey God. And, and then afterwards, I went on the other side of my dad and I just kind of lost all sense of what was going on. Okay, I, I didn't know anybody else was getting baptized because for me, I had made it in life. You know, I was experiencing this love of the Father and I was in hot tub in church and I was super excited about that. And so instead of like paying attention to my sister and my dad, I was just like bobbing up and down and like turning around and basically like, you know, just having my own little party over here while they're getting baptized. And it was, it was just this freedom that I had that made me do something ridiculous and my mom had a few words for me afterwards. But the point is this, when you're living in that love and that confidence, it is joy. It is love. But y'all, that freedom, that joy, that sense of security for me quickly faded as I moved into high school and into college. Because I don't know about you, but I suck at life. Anybody else suck at life? Okay, right? You know what, what, what he writes in Romans, Paul writes in Romans, you know, I see what I should do, what God wants me to do, and I don't do it. I see what I shouldn't do, God doesn't want me to do, and I do it anyways. That's me. That's my life story. For example, I, I, I'm really old. I know this is hard to believe. But I didn't actually have the internet in my life at all until middle school. Okay, that was when we first got a computer and got the internet, and you had to like deal with all these crazy noises, this dial-up connection. And downloading a song would take like two days. Like, ridiculous, right? I'm ancient, I know. But the problem with the internet back then is no one knew its capabilities, really. My parents had no idea how to protect me. And so I had some friends introduce me to internet pornography. And from seventh grade till into college, it was an addiction that just decimated my life. You know, I would ask God for forgiveness, knowing how wrong it was, feeling so convicted only to fall back into it sometimes weeks, sometimes days, sometimes minutes later. And it put me in this cycle where I started to feel like God can't love me anymore. How many times I've asked for forgiveness? How many times I've gone back? I've spit on the cross in Christ's sacrifice. If anything, I wasn't thinking about the lavish love of God. I was thinking about a God who puts up with me. I was thinking about a God, arms crossed, shaking his head. What am I gonna do with you? And I think it drove me to this shattered identity 
to this place where I felt like I couldn't be with God. I actually had to run with God, get myself, try to get myself cleaned up so I could come back in an intimacy with him. I felt so isolated. And I just fell harder and harder into this addiction. And I think many of us deal with that same shame issue for different reasons. I think we wrestle with the fact that why do I still sin so profusely after I've come into a saving relationship with God as his child? We don't know what to do with the fact that supposedly I'm a new creation, a child of God, and yet I still go back to the old destructive ways. And our struggles with following Jesus can leave us with so many doubts about whether it's real. It can leave us feeling isolated from God. It can leave us feeling hopeless in this battle to become who God created us to be. And for some of us, that's driven us even deeper into a culture that says there's no such thing as sin. It's an invented construct. Just let it go. Just do whatever makes you happy. But y'all, is it making us happy? We have more freedom to do more stuff than we ever had before, and yet we're more and more isolated and more and more miserable because that's not the way life works. You have a designer who said this is the way life is. And when we ignore it, it doesn't make it any better. So we need a new perspective. And I'm excited to dive in to 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. If you want to open there, we're going to camp out there the whole time today. Last night, we kind of took a panoramic view of John, and now we're really diving deep. So 1 John 1, 5, if you want to turn there and see it. What we see for me is that the heart of this struggle is this lie that I believed. It's a misunderstanding of something in the Bible that I think God wants to blow up this morning so that we can start to immensely grow as a child of God. Now, one of the unique things about John is you'll see that he has these two dominant themes. And instead of de delivering his message in a, a linear way, what he does is he uses this ancient rhetoric uh, thing called amplification, where he says something about who God is that comes out of what Jesus had taught us, that God is light, and God is love. And then he keeps just circling around these ideas, developing them from different angles more and more. And so I want to focus in on that first major theme that God is light and see how John amplifies that perspective. So starting in verse 5. This is a message we have heard from him and declare to you, God is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. So we see a major identity statement about God. The message is that we have heard from him, Jesus, God is light, pure light. There's no darkness in him at all. This is the theme we, theme we see throughout the Bible over 275 times. We see it in like Psalm 27 where it says, God is our light and we have nothing to fear. We see it when Jesus says in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness but will have the light of life. And think, when you hear the word light, think about life. They are intimately connected. So in 1 John, he's using this vivid picture of light and darkness on purpose because of how Jesus communicated that light is where we walk in life. And who's the source of life? Jesus. If we're following him, we're in life. We're in light. If we're not, we're in the darkness. So Jesus is the light that leads us to life, fullness of life. Okay, so I think we got that so far. What's the misunderstanding? Well, look at next verse, verse six. If we claim to have fellowship with him, being united with God, and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not live in the truth. 
And this is where it all fell apart for me. I just read God is light. Yeah, okay, God is light. No trace of darkness in him. Okay, no trace of darkness. And then verse six is exactly what I feared, that if I claim to have fellowship with him and yet I walk in darkness, I'm a liar. The truth is not in me. From my broken perspective, and it was not correct, (laughs) but from my broken misunderstanding, I still had so much darkness in my life. And so you know what? I just got canceled. I can't be a child of God because I walk in the darkness. So I looked at this passage and many other passages that talk about obedience to God, walking as Jesus did, being holy as God is holy. I can't live up to that. I mean, I'm constantly stumbling around in the darkness, battling with my sin. We all are. I mean, if we define sin as saying, I'm not going to trust you, God. I'm going to trust myself to define what's right and wrong, to create the rules for my life. Don't we do that all the time? I'm guilty of it in all kinds of ways. Some I'm aware of and some I don't even see yet. And guess what? So are you. So does the fact that we still struggle even after giving our life to Christ, even by, after being lavished in the love of God, does that mean we're liars and we don't have a relationship with God? The truth is that's actually what most religions are based on. You gotta try to do enough good to outweigh the bad and hope for the best. Is that what Christianity is about? I knew God was demanding perfection. I knew I could never get there. So am I hopeless? Praise God. That is not at all what it's saying. God isn't canceling us if we have sin in our life. Instead, God is opening this incredible door to walk through to hope and to healing and to transformation when we learn how to deal with our sin in a godly way. Just look now at verses six through nine all together and we'll see what he really intends us to understand. It says, if we claim to have fellowship with him, God, and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, intimacy, connection, think depth of relationship, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all our sins. So we're together with God, we're together with each other, we're purified. It goes on, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful, just, and will forgive us our sins, purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word has no place in our lives. So John is kind of bouncing back and forth between light and darkness. Let's break down what this means. We get clarity here on what it means to walk in the light even though we still sin. So first off, Let's look at verse eight. It clarifies what six is all about. So look at verse eight. Look closely there. It says that walking in the darkness is what? Claiming to be without sin. To walk in the darkness is to say, I know God, I follow God, but then to minimize or ignore all the ways that we continue to walk away from him. We walk in the the darkness when we deny that Jesus is God of our life and we need to continue to seek his conviction to change. Walking in darkness is ignoring our sin. So those who live in the darkness are those who are claiming to follow him but aren't really being honest about all the ways that they struggle. They're wearing masks around people. 
They're ignoring what God is revealing to them about where they need to change. They're hopelessly trying to do it on their own. This is darkness. But look in verse 10. John really gets in our face, doesn't he? (laughs) If you didn't get it by now, he wants to clarify something. If you deny how much you sin still, you're calling God a liar. And deceiving ourselves into thinking we don't need a savior every moment of every second of every day. Now, most of us aren't walking around saying, I don't need a savior. I don't sin. I'm perfect. No one in their right mind is saying that. But honestly, we live like it. We look at our lives. We pick certain sins and we say, I'm not going to do those things. Whatever you pick, maybe it's partying, drinking, sex, whatever. And you say, well, as long as I'm not doing those things, you kind of start feeling pretty good about yourself. You know, God's lucky to have me on his team. Look at how good I am. And we don't really pursue his conviction and his truth to rid our lives of anything that is not his love. Walking in the darkness is a little bit like this. There was one night I was a youth pastor and a group of guys at this overnight that we uh, were having decided to play in our youth room uh, pitch black uh, tag. Okay, so turn off all the lights. It is pitch black in there. And not only is it dangerous because they could run straight into each other. Oh, by the way, there are black beams, support beams all around the room. Pitch black, black beams, not a good idea. But they're like, you know, here's how we'll deal with it. You have to walk. Well, you know what happens. The creative juices, the competitive juices start flowing. And what happens? They move from walking to running to one kid decided to start sprinting until he ran headfirst, bam, straight into a pole. By the time I heard what was happening, and got into the room, and the lights got turned on, he was out cold, blood gushing from his face. This was the last time that we played pitch black tag. Now, you can look at those guys and say, wow, they're kind of idiots, and we were. But the truth is, that's the way we live our lives, y'all. If we're not actively seeking God's conviction, what we're doing is choosing to run headfirst Bam, into sins over and over again. And we end up on the ground, disoriented, blood all over, wondering what just happened. Well, what just happened is you're not seeking to own your sin and be transformed from your sin. You're living in the darkness and it's wrecking you. And so John is loving us right here by getting in our face and saying, stop lying to yourself, to God. Wake up. He's turning on the lights to get us to wake up so we don't walk in the darkness anymore. So let's talk about what it looks like to walk in the light. Let's look at verses seven and nine together because they give us those specific direction. So starting in verse seven, but if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. Skipping down to nine. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. You know, what's incredible to realize is that walking in the light isn't about ignoring our sin. It's about owning our sin. It's about repentance. You know, these verses make it clear that just kind of a summary, we walk in the light with Christ by confessing our sin, trusting we are forgiven and purified so that we can be transformed. Now, I want to unpack that step by step, but that's kind of where we're headed. Now, I can't even begin to describe to you how much 
I've changed, how much I've grown since I came to understand this truth. So let's break it down. At the beginning of verse 9, what does it say? If we confess our sins. So many incredible things start to happen. And that's the first way we walk in the light is we confess our sin. Confession is part of this biblical idea of repentance. And repentance, that word, literally means you're going this way and you turn around and you go the other way. And why is confession such a big part of that? Well, if I'm lost and I don't know where I'm going and I'm heading this direction, the first thing I got to do to get found is to say, hey, I'm lost. The only way you can recover from your sin is to first say, this is sin. I need to turn around. That's what confession is about. And it's so important. First, it's important because it helps you see clearly again. When we're honest about what we're struggling with, when we live with brutal honesty, because we can, because we know we are accepted no matter what, so we can be brutally honest about our mistakes. We are forced to come to terms with that every sin, every sin is a killer. It helps us see what we're doing is killing us. Sin is a killer. We have to kill it. It, it, it wrecks our heart. It wrecks our relationship. It wrecks our, our connection to God, our strength. So confession is laying down the denial. Confession is stepping into the light and saying, God, help me with this. This is killing me. And as a child of God who walks in the light, you need to consistently acknowledge and admit your sin. Admit your brokenness. Admit that you understand what it cost Jesus on the cross and what it costs all of us as we step into sin. But it goes beyond just clarity. Actually, confession brings unity with God. Think about it this way. If God already knows every single sin you're going to commit for all of your life, if he's never surprised by it, coming to him in confession is actually obeying him, first of all, and it's growing near to him. I know it might be weird to think about it that way, but God created us to have deep, abiding, honest relationships with him. He's not asking us to hide. He's not asking us to ignore it. So in confession, we go to him, and he's not surprised by any of it. He's like, it's about time. All right, let me help. Let me get you back on the right path. Depend on me to change. In confession, we're admitting over and over, I need you, I need you, I need you, I need you. Which, by the way, you need him all the time, every second of every day. So confession unifies your heart to him and to the truth that you need him. It's one of the main reasons, it's one of the main ways we abide in God is confessing we need him. And this has been one of the greatest points of growth in my relationship with God. As I told y'all earlier, I had a addiction to pornography that God has brought me tremendous victory over. But for years, I was trapped. For years, it caused me to run away from God, thinking I couldn't be near to him. I believed that lie. But as I learned that, no, confession in, in opening my sin is what draws me to him. As I started to share it with him, man, I started to grow. And this is how it works. Whatever sin you're tempted by, Whatever thing you find yourself constantly going back to, just saying, God, if I could just get over this, I'd be good, right? Whatever it is. What if every single time you battle with that, you went to prayer? How many times a day would you be praying? I mean, if you struggle with worry and anxiety, not trusting God's hand in your life, instead of feeling awful about that and running away from God, what if you ran to him and said, God, I'm worrying again. I'm sorry, I confess. Thank you 
for another reminder of how much I need you. Give me your peace. What if every time you worried, you prayed? What if every time, if you're struggling with lust, you just went to the Father and said, I confess, struggling with lust again. God, thank you for another reminder of how much I need you. Give me strength to walk in purity. What if every time you dealt with self-hatred, you went to God and you said, here I am, my God. God, I'm sorry for hating who you created me to be. I confess. Thank you for another reminder of how much I need you. Help me to see what you see when you look at me. How many times a day would you pray? How close would you be to God? So we use our greatest struggles against our enemy to draw near to God. Isn't that beautiful? That is the power of the gospel. That is the power of a God who knows it all, already paid for it all, and wants you to come to him in your selfishness, in your gossip, in your lying, whatever. Run to God when you fall and experience the unity and life and light that comes with it. And this is where it really gets mind-blowing. Let's look again at verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from what? What's the word? You can participate all, right? All unrighteousness. Verse 7, through the blood of Jesus, his son purifies us from all sin. So a massive part of living in the light is over and over again, Remembering the love of God. See, every time you confess, every time you realize you don't deserve forgiveness, but he gives it, cleansing you from all, doesn't it just make you go, what in the world? God, how can you love me like that? How can you show me grace again? This is like the billionth time, and you're still forgiving me, and you're still loving me, and he's going, yeah, that's how I love you. And you're going, but it's not possible. But he's saying, it is. Does that, oh my gosh, does that get up in your heart at all? Does anybody else feel something in their heart just, just explode with joy knowing you're forgiven like that? All of it's gone? You're purified? And then you just got to marvel at what John writes in starting in verse chapter 2. So turn to chapter 2 there. It's the very next verse after 10. 1 and 2, he says, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but for also for the sins of the world. So Jesus is like our defense lawyer. <laughs> the one who died for us, the one who is God on earth is the atoning sacrifice for us, our advocate, it comes from this word parakletos in Greek. It means helper. So in your confession, Jesus becomes your helper, not only to cleanse you, but to restore you and to bring you to new life and transformation. The gospel is amazing. I'll never forget, I was in my mid-20s and I was on a retreat with a friend and, and we just were in this uh, place where we were talking about these themes and about confession and, and just really out of the, the community that was created around me, I, I just opened up. I bared my soul. I talked about so many things I had battled with. I talked about my self-hatred, my, my addiction to pornography. I talked about uh, a lot of running away from God and sh uh, shame that it was just crushing me. 
It was, it was, it was beautiful. It was amazing. And, and I found myself weeping as my friend said, Nate, you've confessed these things. And 1 John 1, 9 says that he is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you from all of what you've confessed. Because Jesus said on the cross three words as he died for you, it is finished. It's all been taken care of. From the beginning to the end of your life, Nate, it's finished. And in tears, I was like, yeah, I was basking that truth. I was experiencing that love. But then he said something that shocked me, stopped me in my tracks. He said, Nate, now you need to stop calling Jesus a liar. What? I'm not calling Jesus a liar. I would never call Jesus a liar. I would never do that. But then he went, Nate, every single time you fall, and you push God away because of your sin. Every time you fall and you live in shame and you wallow and you isolate yourself, what you're saying is, Jesus lied when he said it is finished. What you're saying is, your sin is too great for God, and so you can't go to God because you're too messed up, you're too jacked up, that Jesus' sacrifice wasn't enough for you. Stop calling him a liar. He has cleansed you from all of your sins. He is faithful and just. He has forgiven you. So stop bringing the past into the present. And I could hear God whispering in my soul, in my heart, as I realized my arrogance. Nathan, you are my son. I love you. I forgive you. Now get up and move on. Here's the truth. If you receive Christ in that moment that God called you his child, he knew fully every jacked up thing you and I were ever gonna do. And he's already paid the price. And Jesus was not torn apart on the cross so that you could live in shame. He was broken so you could be made whole, so you could run to him, even in your failures, and just bask in his unbelievable love. Bask in the fact that you can still be near to God when you don't deserve it. Just be overwhelmed by his goodness and allow it to inspire change in you. And I wept with peace and joy in my heart like never before when I realized shame will no longer be a part of my life. I will not call God a liar. I will receive his forgiveness. I will not let sin define me anymore. And again, that's the beautiful thing about being in the love of God. Why are you a child of God? Because of what you've done? No, because of what Jesus has done. Which means you can look hard at your actions. You can look hard at these things that need to change, but no, they do not define your identity. Your identity is a lavishly loved child of God. And so I dare you to trust every day that you are cleansed, that you are free, that you are perfect in your daddy's eyes through Jesus. I beg you to remember Proverbs 28, 13 that says the one who conceals his sin will not prosper, but whoever confesses and renounces them will find mercy. And you know what I discovered? The truth of Romans 2, 4. It says God's kindness leads us to repentance. Yeah, that's true. Y'all, as I was just blown away by the extravagance of God's love, that's inspiring. That makes me want to be different. Not shame. Shame's not a good motivator. Love, ultimate love is. 
And that leads us to the final part of how we walk in the light. Let's just review quick. We walk in the light by confessing our sin, by trusting we are forgiven and purified so that we can be transformed. The first part of repentance is admitting, I'm going the wrong way. But the second part is turning around and going the other way. And that's what this is talking about. Look again at 1 John 2, 1. What does it say there right in the beginning? It says, I write this to you so you will not sin. His greatest desire is that we don't sin. Why? Because sin destroys us. But he understands, this side of heaven, we will never be sinless. But we can sin less. We can destroy our life less. We can destroy our friendships less. When we submit to God, when we seek his conviction and his forgiveness, and then we say, okay, God, I've been gossiping. What's the different thing you are calling me to now? How do I lay that down? How do I get accountability in my life? How do I realize that's never going to bring me to true love, that's only going to destroy me and other people, so how do I turn around? And y'all, this is when we should get really excited because you know what's on the horizon? becoming more and more like Christ. Any of you guys hope, wish that you can walk as Jesus did? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control. How many of you guys want the fruit of the Spirit alive in you? Okay? This is the process. And, and, and Jesus is with us every step of the way so we can reflect his light and love instead of darkness into our world. And so we turn to God saying, reveal my sin. We turn to him Teach me how to walk out of my sin. He's our inventor. He's our creator. He understands how we're designed. He showed us the ultimate example of what it means to be human in Jesus. So this is where we get to work. This is what sanctification is about. It's about the process of becoming like Jesus, replacing the patterns of sin with patterns of love. And this is where we got to get angry. Y'all, it's about time we get angry at our sin. It's about time we get ticked off at how much sin we still let live in our lives. We need to be sin killers, sin haters, sin murderers. That's what Colossians 3.5 says. Put it to death in your life. We say, I want to live. Then we got to be willing to do whatever it takes. Too often I talk to guys who are like, yeah, Nate, I'm dealing with pornography. I know I need to stop. I confess. And I'm like, all right, are you willing to do whatever it takes? Yeah, let's do whatever it takes. I'm like, all right, we're getting rid. We're locking down your phone. We're getting rid of Instagram. We're getting rid of Snapchat. We're getting rid of anything that's easy for you to click on and then go down the rabbit trail. Because y'all, pornography isn't just when two people are having sex on a, on a screen. Pornography can become anything where you end up lusting in your heart. And guys, you know, you click on the wrong hashtag and it's over on Instagram. So stop lying to yourself. Stop treating sin casually. If you really want to walk the other way in purity and life, then you got to do what I ended up having to do. I basically had a dumb phone for three years. And I'm proud of it. Because every time I couldn't go do something my friends could do, every time I had that inconvenience, I knew that was one way I was showing God, I love you. I want to be close to you, no matter what it takes. So quit with the excuses. Whatever the thing is, you got to be willing to rip it out. It's just like cancer. You can't casually get over cancer. If you get a diagnosis with cancer, you start treatment immediately. And it's aggressive. Surgeries. Something like chemo. Because you understand, if I don't deal with what's inside, it's going to destroy my body. It's going to end my life. 
And sin is a cancer that inside, if you deal with the root issues, then what comes out of you will be so different. So you got to be willing to do what it takes. But here's the truth. You're never going to know what it takes unless if you confess it to God and to his church. Why? Well, in James 5, 16, it says to confess our sins to each other and pray for each other so that we might be healed. Why is it so important to confess to other people? I can tell you, my battle with self-hatred, my battle with pornography, my battle with shame, I would have never found any sort of change, any sort of path to growth without confessing to trusted people at my church. There's no way. I needed them to speak truth into the lie that God couldn't love me. I needed them to speak truth into the fact that I had to give up freedoms so that I could truly be freedom. You know, the, the world tells you that true freedom is having no boundaries. No, no, no. Freedom is the presence of the right boundaries that lead you to a life of love. And they had to help me figure out what those are. So here's my challenge to you. Never again make the agreement in your heart, in your mind, I can't confess this. I can't go to God with this. I can't tell anyone about this. Because as soon as you make the agreement in your heart, I'm taking this to my grave. No one's gonna ever know X. Then X will dominate your life for the rest of your life. It'll dominate your heart. It'll dominate your mind. Now, I'm not saying you go tell everybody. I'm telling you, go to trusted people that you know know the gospel and you know love you and will hold it in confidence and will get you the help that you need. But do not ever agree again to hide anything because sin grows in the dark. It kills you just like cancer does. But as we reveal it, as we bring it to light, we can get that godly treatment and we can start walking in a new direction. And the beautiful thing is, I don't know about you guys, but if you've noticed in your connection group, I know right now you might be freaking out going, oh my gosh, Nate's telling me I have to be honest with people in my community group. No, heck no, I can't tell them. When was the last time someone really got real in connection group and you were like, loser. Oh my gosh, you suck. I don't. I'm so much better than you. I mean, the reality is when they start confessing, what does everyone else do? Confess. We start to realize we're in this together. We start to realize how much we have in common. We start to realize let's lay down the judgment and let's grow together. It's time to be honest. Because what we're losing when we confess, when we open up, is the things that draw us to hate and to sin and destruction. And what we're gaining is love. And that's the other way we walk in the light. Look at 1 John 2.10. It says, anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. And that's what we're gonna talk about next session together. Let's close in prayer. Jesus, the light that you shine into our heart today through this truth is just mind-blowing. It's too good to be true, but it's not. Because God, you just continue to blow expectations. You continue to blow our human assumptions out of the water with a love that is truly extravagant. I know that there's some people in here that their heart is beating fast. I remember sitting in rooms like this, hearing things like this going, whew, I know the thing I need to confess. I know the thing I need help with, but I just don't know if I can. God, I pray that they would know they can't that they would just unearth it and lay it before people who love them and you and commit today to do whatever it takes 
to walk the other way in repentance. Thank you, Jesus, for your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen.